Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode continues our Houses in Motion mini-series and features an interview with Kenny Cravens, Vice President of Training Sales at Coldwell Banker Legacy Real Estate Group in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and President of the Southern Kentucky Association of Realtors. Cravens joins us to discuss the distinctive nature of Bowling Green's housing market and the city's struggles with inventory. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. TMS helps grow business for your customers, allowing you to do what you do best, continuing to build a business with raving fans. We believe that a happy customer is a referral and a customer for life. TMS is committed to building your brand through subservicing. Learn more today at subservicing.themoneysource.com. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion. Each week, as part of Housing Wire Daily, we look at the people, battles, and issues of the U.S. real estate economy. Today is our fourth episode, and something I'm hoping to do at this podcast now is to cover parts of the country that aren't reported on very much. In real estate especially, so much reporting is focused on the coasts and the sale of ultra-luxury homes in New York and Los Angeles. I've more than partaken in this kind of reporting, living in L.A. and doing deep dives on the Bel Air and Beverly Hills markets. There's value to that coverage, but today we're doing something different. I'm looking at a separate part of the country, Southern Kentucky, and specifically the city of Bowling Green. On the other line is Kenny Cravens, who is Vice President of Training Sales at Caldwell Banker Legacy Real Estate Group. Kenny is also President of the Southern Kentucky Association of Realtors. Kenny, welcome to Houses in Motion. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Really excited to get this started, so um, looking forward to it. Great, great. So before we kind of get into what I was teasing there about Southern Kentucky real estate, let's talk a little bit about you and why are you a real estate agent? Why do you have leadership positions now in the Kentucky real estate community? And how did you get into real estate? Sure. Well, I uh, started my career, actually, uh, I went to Western Kentucky University and then I stayed here in Bowling Green and started working at WBKO TV. It's the ABC affiliate here. And I worked there for a few years. And then uh, my wife and I moved to North Carolina and I started working at uh, WGHP in uh, High Point, Winston-Salem area. And uh, we lived there for 12 years, started a family and realized that we uh, were spending a little too much time at work. And so uh, she actually got an opportunity to come back here and we came back to Bowling Green I worked at uh, Channel 5 in Nashville for a little while, but realized, again, that we were just working too much. And uh, not that real estate is a way to go to not work, but you can kind of set your own hours a little bit. So that gave me the flexibility. Uh, my my sister-in-law actually was the one who told me, she was like, you could do real estate. You love to talk to people. You're very outgoing. Uh, see what you can do. And so I went to real estate school, um, got my uh, license and everything, and started here at Coal Banker uh, 10 years ago. And it has been great. I have really enjoyed it. Um, I, I obviously was doing a lot of, uh, you know, working with clients. While I was doing that, I 
noticed that a lot of the other agents would come to me and ask me about technology. I'm a huge technology nerd. So, uh, you know, that it is what it is, but uh, they would come to me for different things. And we started working on, on different things. And uh, John Huggins, my broker here said, uh, can you teach a class in some of the things that you're doing? And so I started teaching and then became more of a manager and got into that role. And so that's what's led me to where I am uh, here at the brokerage. And then uh, you mentioned the uh, volunteer aspect of uh, president at the Realtor Association of Southern Kentucky. So uh, something I was taught many years ago, my parents always told me, you know, that if you can do something to give back and to help, you should. And with with what I'm doing, I was able to help and give back. So I really love doing what I'm doing. I, you know, started on just some of the committees there and and we have a huge uh, um, event that we do every year called Hope for Hunger. And the realtors come together and our business partners and we help to feed local children and, and uh, adults here in the community who are going hungry. And it's, uh, you know, one of those things that's close to my heart. And I guess just with all of those things, then I kind of moved up through the ranks. And uh, and this year I'm serving as president. So uh, it's, it's just something that I love to do, um, you know, able to have the time to do it. And so uh, I like giving back to the community. So that's that's kind of, uh, you know, me in a nutshell. <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds like you found it to be a fairly natural transition. Like, what was what was it like sort of switching the workflow from, I imagine, like TV journalism, you also had kind of irregular hours. So what was like, what was it like switching up from a career that I think you had done for about 15 years to sort of the workflow and the hours of being an agent? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the biggest things, and I, I teach our, our realtors now, I teach our agents the same thing, is that when you go from a regular kind of nine to five job and you get into real estate, you have to treat it as, the, as a job still. Even though you have some flexible hours, you still have to treat it as a business. Um, so having that discipline of coming from TV news where I was all over the place, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing here and there and it's not necessarily a typical nine to five job, but, you know, you do clock in and you do uh, have your hours set uh, with real estate. You need to do it that way. And then you also need to be available for your clients and and that type of thing. I think for me, what transitioned best was the fact that I conversed with people so much already. And so as a journalist, like you said, you know, you know this very well. You're constantly asking questions. You want to learn about people. Well, that's the same thing that you need to do in real estate. You should learn about your clients so that you know what it is they're looking for. So you can find the right house for them. And so you can go out and and do those, the, the research for them. So um, you know, that's that's one of the things that I tell realtors every day is that you should be ready to go out, converse, listen to people and really listen and then do your job that way. So um, for me, it was kind of a natural progression. I know there are a lot of people in TV who do go into real estate. They're very successful. Some of our other most successful agents, teachers, those who come from the teaching profession, They've already have that. You know, they're used to being in front of a class. They're used to being uh, uh, conversing with their students and parents and those types of things. So uh, they they make a very good uh, agent as well. So for me, it was just kind of a natural progression. Are most of the are most of your colleagues is being a real estate agent their second career? You know what? It used to be, Matt. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see a lot of younger agents now. Um, I think that comes with, um, you know, a little bit of the difficulties of, of going to college and not necessarily having something when they come out. So we're getting a lot of agents who are younger, fresh out of school, 
and, and just want to, you know, kind of get their career rolling. Oftentimes they'll, they'll do this as not necessarily a second career, but sometimes as a second job, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of people who uh, we have bartenders, we have, uh, you know, uh, servers at, at, at restaurants. We have people who are doing other jobs and then they're doing real estate. And a lot of times if they're good at it, then it rolls into, okay, now I've done this for a year and then they become a full-time agent. So we are seeing it start to come down a little bit. You know, I don't know if that's nationally, um, but, but locally we're definitely starting to see more younger agents come into the field. That's interesting. So when you say like out of school, like, like out of high school, like sometimes you have like 20 year old agents in, in some cases or. Not usually straight out of high school. Um, if, if they're out of high school, they usually have a parent who's maybe in the business okay. and they become, they, they come on and they're a team member with them. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time it's, uh, it's out of college. We, we have a lot of college graduates who, uh, you know, maybe for a year or so they're kind of bouncing around and trying to find a career in whatever field they studied. And, and maybe that's maybe there's not an opportunity there, and so they'll come to us and 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 uh, start in in real estate. So typically, it's a little bit older, and I and I you know it's tough when you're that young. It's tough to have any type of sphere of influence. It's it's hard to kind of get your clients going. Uh, most people, if they come from a career, they already have kind of their their sphere set up already, mm-hmm. whether it be family, friends, former coworkers. So, so they're typically set up. So uh, the younger ones have to work a little bit harder at it and really use the marketing and the tools that they have available to them. Yeah. And so you're a trainer of them. What, what are some of the things that you like to tell some of these younger agents in terms of this is how you can gain traction? Sure. We have a lot of tools um, here at Cobalt Banker. And that's, that's one of the first things that I show them is just all the different things. And I don't want to become a commercial. So um, I, I just want to make sure that people understand that there are a lot of tools out there to use. They need to use, they need to set up a database, first of all. I mean, that's just first and foremost. Everybody you know, and then you need to start hitting them. You need to start texting, calling, you know, and that's another thing. I said texting first. You notice that. Um, people, people a lot of times are scared to pick up the phone and call somebody, but they're very willing to text. And oftentimes, the other person on the other end, they're okay with texting because you know, here's the thing. If they get a phone call, they're like, man, I just don't have time. I don't know how long I'm going to be on the phone with them. And I'm in the middle of something else, but a text, they can reply back a short answer and take as much time as they want. So, so that's kind of a trend that I'm seeing now. And of course, for the younger ones, that's awesome. They love that. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that they can do setting up email campaigns. That's a huge one for us is making sure that you get everybody you have on an email campaign and start sending out different emails. And you don't want to blast it to where they're getting something every day, but you want to make sure you're staying in contact with them. So, so that's a huge one for us as well. Yeah. And toward that end, like you mentioned at the start that you're really into technology. You like to talk to other agents about technology. I think for me as a reporter, sometimes I struggle to like understand like sometimes like what brokerages and agents mean by technology. Like my sense is, you know, sometimes it's the customer relationship management system. Sometimes it's kind of like administrative backend stuff. But so why don't you talk about like what you mean by technology and sort of what you imbue agents with when, when you say the word technology? Sure. So for me, technology is a lot of online um, kind of uh, uh, marketing. You want to be able to use Facebook. You know, you want to use social media. You want to get out and make sure that you're getting on. And again, I'm going to say, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, if you can, uh, Pinterest, 
all of these different mediums, Twitter, all of these different social media mediums are where people are. That's kind of what they're, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, that's kind of somewhat, a lot of people's daily routine is to kind of scroll through their, their feed. And so you want to pop up on that every once in a while. So we, we teach that and, and show different ways that you can use Facebook advertising. Also with us, it's really big to make sure that you are letting people know what's on the market. So we have a lot of systems here that will literally pump out advertising and, and the new listings. So when a new listing comes up, then it'll go out on social media and let people know. And, and then, you know, if you're, if you're the one posting that, then somebody calls you and says, hey, I just see this house that, that, that was listed. Uh, I'd love to see it. So those are some of the tools that we use. And, and like I said, technology for me is, is mostly your online uh, derivative. I mean, we have online means obviously on your phone too. So uh, I have a lot of uh, agents who just want to do everything on their phone. I have some who don't want to use their phone at all. So we make sure that we have both aspects of that. You can use your laptop, um, iPad, Surface, whatever it is you're using. Uh, we make sure that you're covered there. So let's let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Bowling Green right now. There's a national narrative of, you know, not just a narrative, it's it's a, it's a proven, you know, fact of low inventory, high demand. Is that what's going on in Bowling Green or how is Bowling Green different from that? No, I think Bowling Green is is right there with the national narrative and and you know, like you said, it's not necessarily a narrative. It is what it is. Um we definitely have the same uh, trends that you're seeing nationally. I think that Bowling Green sometimes is a little behind the national, um, but we have definitely seen a shortage in listings. Uh, We were literally for the first part of 2021 and through the spring, and even just recently, we started to catch up a little bit. We were seeing more homes sold than were coming listed. So we continued to go down, down, down. So we had uh, a real problem with having enough homes listed. Um, You know, one of the things that here in Bowling Green, it's one of the fastest areas of growth in Kentucky. Actually, it has been the fastest area in Kentucky for the last uh, probably 10 years. And that's because of all of the industry that we're able to bring here. Uh, Bowling Green has been very good about a lot of diversification. We've not settled on one type of industry where, you know, I, I lived in North Carolina and the furniture industry was huge there. And as the furniture industry started taking a hit, then that economy was taking a hit as well. Here in Bowling Green, we've been very fortunate. I mean, you know, obviously the, the uh, university here, uh, Western Kentucky is, is one of our largest employers. And uh, we have a, a couple of great hospital systems. Uh, Fruit of the Loom is the, the corporate headquarters are located here. We have a lot of, uh, we have Logan Aluminum, we have uh, Bielstein Steel. So, I mean, we have, you know, different types of, of industry. We've got uh, uh, Valspar paint is made here. I mean, you know, uh, Corvette plant. So, you know, the Corvette has been made here since uh, I think 1980. Every Corvette ever produced has been made here in Bowling Green. So it's, you know, very proud of that. Um, so, so again, it's, it's a diversified uh, economy here. So I think that's voted very well for Bowling Green. Um, the, the good news is that we're continuing to set sales records. So even though we're low on inventory, houses are still selling. So it's just that we, you know, kind of, I think we're kind of underbuilt here right now. And, and that's something we need to see uh, an increase in is more new builds. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to say about, I think, what you just said. I mean, one thing 
that struck me, I really appreciated sort of how you walked through how Bowling Green seems like it has some diversity economically. Maybe it's doing better than say like Louisville or or other elements of sort of like Kentucky, um, Tennessee type area. I mean, one thing that you mentioned is, you know, Western Kentucky University is there, Logan Aluminum, the you know, the Corvette factory. Basically, that sounds to me like a lot of jobs where you actually like have to be physically present to be at the job. And so like, you know, living like in the big city, you know, there's all this talk. Like I was on a Zillow earnings call last week and, and they talked about the great reshuffling and sort of how people are no longer tethered to, uh, you know, where they work as to where they live. But it sounds like from what you're saying, at least in Bowling Green, that most of these jobs are, you are tethered to the job. What what, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good point. I've never really thought about it. Um, You know, I know that, um, as you mentioned, I mean, if you're in manufacturing, you're going to have to show up and be there to actually uh, complete the manufacturing process. I think that um, I think it's a good mix still. You know, we have uh, uh, places like Fruit of the Loom and and I guess the university, you would still have to be there. But a a lot of those were done virtually. So, you know, you're able to do as a as Western Kentucky was able to do virtual classes. Um, Same with our our school systems. We had a lot of virtual classes uh, throughout uh, 2020. And then, you know, they kind of did a, a hybrid. So you had some students who were going and some students who were staying home. Uh, same thing with Fruit of the Loom. A lot of their employees chose to stay home and just do things uh, virtual. So, you know, Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and Google Meets and Classrooms, all those are huge right now. Uh, we actually do the same thing at our office. We have an education room uh, where we're completely set up. We have some students who are in the classroom, and then we have other students who are joining us on Zoom. Uh, we've got a, a complete uh, education room where, you know, I can, I've got my Zoom people on one screen and my presentation on another screen. There's a camera that follows me around. Uh, We have offices in Glasgow and Somerset also. So uh, they're able to join us remotely. So um, I don't don't know, I'm kind of digressing off of of where we were, but um, I think you're right that uh, this area, a lot of people are still going to their jobs and and just like, uh, just like normal, you know, whether that's, uh, (laughs) <laughs> whether that's right or wrong, it's, it's, it is what it is, you know? So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're kind of fighting through that. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, the demand is there, the supply isn't there. What are sort of the obstacles in terms of building more homes? Is it that national home builders just like overlook Bowling Green? Is it, there's not enough like buildable land? What's going on there? Yeah. Land is, land is big. Um, you've got to, you know, we don't necessarily have enough developments right now. You know, you've got to have a developer come in and and typically buy a large swath of land, several acres, many acres, and and start developing. And that's a high cost. You know, it takes millions of dollars to go in and and put in the streets and the infrastructure needed to actually develop a, a piece of land. So we don't have very many lots when it comes to you know housing lots. Um, we're looking at. Uh, and, I, and this may sound big to some people, but, you know, we look for a quarter of an acre to build a house on. Obviously, it's nice to have half acre, one acre lots, but those are going to be at a premium. Uh, so so we look to develop about a quarter of an acre and we put up, you know, 1500 square foot house on it. 
And right now with the prices the way they are of lumber and supplies and, you know, everything else, the, the contract labor, you know, we're looking at uh, in, in Bowling Green at, you know, 230, 240 uh, for a house that's 1500 square foot. And, and, and I, I would not have believed that, you know, 10 years ago, it was more in that uh, 140 range. So it's just uh, really ballooned. And I think that's where as builders, you know, you're right. There aren't, there aren't very many national builders here. We're, it's pretty much all local. Um, and we just can't keep up. You know, I've, I've got a few right now that I'm, I've got under construction and I see very well what, what's going on. And, you know, I have a, a plumber who tells me it's hard to get PVC. I have an electrician who tells me it's hard to get the little blue boxes that go in for the outlets. You know, it's just things like that, that you don't really think about until you start building massive. And that's why everything just kind of slows down. So we're still at a, a tough part, tough place right now with the supply chain. And, and that's nationally, you know, we we feel it just like everybody else. So, so that's kind of our, our issue right now. I think, you know, and I don't know what the answer is, but I'd like to see some type of incentives for builders mm-hmm. to where they can go in and, and say, Hey, you know, let, let's make sure that they've got the supplies and let's help them out and make sure that they're building enough affordable housing. Yeah. What is sort of the political climate like that in Bowling Green right now is sort of the local government there like uh, amenable to sort of we need developers we need builders or is it sort of more like well i don't know about changing the local character and i don't know if this is really a good use of tax money what what is sort of the climate like there yeah i, I won't i will i won't get into politics because uh you know i i, I try to stay point. neutral but um yeah. i think one of the one of the issues is that we have what would be considered at one point a very rural community, but it's not, it's an urban community. I mean, we, we now, and, and again, you know, it's hard to, and I, and I love the fact that you've got me on here because, you know, sometimes uh, people on the coast will see, you know, a city or, or an area of 130,000 and think, Oh, that's so cute. It's just so small. But to us, you know, that's, that's big. And um, it's increased. Oh, I don't know how much in the past 10 years, but just, we just continue to grow. And I think that some of the people locally, you know, the ones that have been here for years, all their lives, it's hard for them to accept that. And so we've got, a, you know, a couple of roads that are just almost overwhelmed. And so the infrastructure is not necessarily there to handle it. And so they don't want more people. They don't want more housing. But the reality is that's what we've got. And that's what we are. Um, so, so, you know, we just we need to kind of get past that, get past that mentality um, I don't think that, uh, you know, so you mentioned, uh, uh, local government, they are, uh, huge in developing downtown and that's great. And it's, uh, it's an area that could, could see some more growth. Um, as many downtowns had this issue years ago when the malls started popping up and everybody starts to move to the suburbs, then the downtown kind of falters, but, um, you know, they have a, a TIF area there. So there's uh, tax incentives for people to uh, build and, and uh, develop in the downtown area. So, so that's a start. Um, but, but as far as um, the development goes and housing, kind of both sides, you know, when we have a, when there's a new development that wants to come in, you typically have a lot of opposition to it when it comes from the community, not necessarily the officials, but the community will show up in droves and, 
And a lot of times that's what they're basing their vote on. And so if a thousand people, not a thousand, but if a hundred people come out in opposition to a project and you have a developer who's kind of there by themselves saying, this is why we think we need it. Sometimes they're outnumbered and, and it doesn't go the way that, that uh, we as realtors and developers would like to see it. Why, why are there people in opposition to, I mean, maybe that's too obvious of a question, but why, why, why are there people in opposition to like the scenario you're just describing? What are the reasons they give? Yeah. So what happens is, you know, when you develop a piece of land, well, there's nothing in the city. There's no, there's no developer land anymore because it's all taken up. So you have to go into the county. You have to go into the outer reaches of the city. And once you start going out into those areas, they're what people consider farmland. And they just don't want it. They just say, not in my area. I don't want you to put down, you know, 200 houses in this area and uh, create traffic and, and people and, and all of that. This is farmland. And so so that's where it goes. And, and like I said, it's just um, they're very vocal. They have a, a great you know grassroots program for themselves and they kind of come out and, and make sure that those things don't happen. So um, it's, it's just um, it's difficult sometimes. I wanted to talk a little bit about your leadership at the Southern Kentucky Realtors Association. What are the biggest issues facing members there? And, and when you when you have meetings with them, what is at the forefront of their minds? Well, I think it's just like we've talked earlier. It's um, it's still the lack of inventory. And that's what uh, that's what they would like to see us do something about. I don't know that anybody necessarily has an answer to it, um, but it's the uh, the growing population. Um, we've again, we've kind of underbuilt for the area. but. Um, one thing that we are seeing is just the fact that we have such a great place to come. We have people coming in. We have a lot of investors will come in and they are amazed at what their dollar can buy here. You know, so, so they're used to, uh, you know, maybe paying half a million dollars for a three bedroom, two bath, and we can get that for them for under 250 all day, any day. And so they're amazed at that. And so we have a lot of uh, uh, investors coming in from, from other places uh, but but yeah, I think um, you know the biggest issue right now for us is to get our inventory back up. And luckily, in the past two months, it's actually gone up. Um, just to give you an idea of kind of where we are, and and again, I know that some of your listeners will hear this and think, "Wow, that's not very many houses," and it's not. But um, you know, we had uh, 315 listings for the whole MLS in June. That went up to about 345, I think, in July. And now at the beginning of August, I think we're around 360 or 370. But to give you an idea, we're typically well over 1,000. So two years ago, we were 1,042 homes in uh, our area um, at this time. And typically, it would have been more like 1,400, you know, kind of in a, in a normal market, a six-month supply, let's say. Um, it would be more in that 1,500 uh, homes. We cover seven counties here. Obviously, Warren County is your is your main one with Bowling Green, uh, but we uh, but we continue to struggle with listings and, and making sure that we get enough. So, if you ask me, what was the one thing on our local realtors' minds? It is getting more listings. That seems to have been like the issue that's that's dominated twenty twenty one. Do you see do you see kind of any let up in sight in in terms of inventory? not being such a paramount concern for you and, and your colleagues? Well, the good news is that, as I mentioned, we've actually gone up in listings the past couple of months. 
So if I would look at that as a trend, then then yes, we are trending towards getting more listings and starting to kind of come out of this. It's going to be a buyer's market for a long time. Let's just be honest. If Right now, uh, I, the only thing that I would see changing this from a, a seller's market to a buyer's market might be um, interest rates. So, I mean, uh, here's what here's what I've been saying. This is a, an unusual market in that it's definitely a seller's market. So they, they're able to put their house on the market. Days on the market are down lower than we've seen in, in a long time. Um, they're getting top dollar. They're getting multiple offers. They're getting sometimes more than asking price. However, buyers are in a great position because they can buy more with their money. When you see interest rates at 2.75, 3%, I mean, that is awesome. You can, you, and, and as, that, as that percentage goes up, you can see how much less house they get every time it goes up. So if if you're looking at a 2.75, they can get, uh, a, I think it's about a $290,000 house for $1,200 a month. Well, as soon as you go up one percentage rate, so up to 3.75, now that same $1,200 gets them about a $240,000 house. So they just lost $50,000 in buying power. So it's it's kind of one of those situations where it's a it's both a seller's and a buyer's market. I know that the buyers don't agree with me when I say it's a it's kind of a buyer's market, but uh, but their money just goes a lot further. So that's that's the uh, the good thing about this right now. Interesting. So one final thing I wanted to talk with you about, kind of a pet interest of mine, is is brokerage and kind of what consumers think about brokerage because you know as a reporter. I'm very focused on like what brokerages are doing well, which ones are doing poorly. But, you know, when I talk to like friends of mine who have bought a home or thinking of buying a home, you know, like who their agent was affiliated with often like was not something they even like acknowledged or or seemed like aware about. And it seems like from, you know, the little I know about kind of your area, like Caldwell Banker is a pretty dominant brokerage. There's, you know, I know EXP has somewhat of a, growing Kentucky presence, I guess, two questions. Like first question, like what do you see as the purpose and the value of brokerage? And then the second question is how do you, how do you see consumers uh, in interfacing with the brokerage? Sure. I'll, I'll start with the second question first. And what I see is that consumers want a name that they can trust. Okay. So Coldwell Banker has been around for 115 years. Coldwell Banker Legacy Group here in Bowling Green has been around for 35 years. The trust, the reputation is there. So I think that that does influence to a degree uh, what people are looking for. Um, I would be probably lying if I said that the agent is not kind of one of the most important aspects, however. Uh, you know, we preach to our, to our agents that you need to make sure that you have a, a rapport with your customers. And so that's typically, they're going to go with, you know, the agent that they like. But with that comes, where was that agent trained and how do they do their business? And so I think that's where we come in. And, and I, like I said, I, I think we um, give the best and, and have the best. So I'm going to obviously tout what we do. I haven't worked at another brokerage, so I can't tell you exactly what they do. I can only tell you what we do and, and tell you kind of from that aspect. Um, you know, competition is competition. It is what it is. Obviously, everybody wants to uh, get every client and you want to make every sale um, and, and all of that. However, real estate is one of these, it's a business where we all have to get along. 
And we all have to have the professionalism about us to where we can still work with an agent, whether they're they're at XYZ company or Cobalt Banker or wherever it may be. You know, so um, that's an interesting dynamic in real estate is that we have to work with competitors every day. As far as consumers go, like I said, I, I still think that uh, that they look for a brand they can trust and and rely on that. Do do most of your um, clients come to you because you're Kenny Cravens, you think, or because you're Caldwell Banker, or is it? Just I would, yeah, I would. I would hope that now it's because I'm Kenny Cravens. Yeah. But yeah. but but in the beginning, it would be where I worked and and just knowing and saying, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I saw your sign or I saw a sign or I had new an agent with Cobalt Banker, that type of thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you're going to get both, you know, um, you, you should, like I said, make sure that you're keeping up with your clients and have a good rapport and be friends with them. And, uh, and, and we all, you know, that's one of the interesting things about real estate. Also, um, when you go and when you walk into a grocery store, you don't necessarily become friends with, uh, the, uh, the checkout person, you know, you may see them, occasionally and and know them and maybe maybe even know their name but you don't necessarily become friends with them but uh when you work with a realtor you often become friends and and it goes beyond you know we we love to uh to go visit our clients and and see what they've done with their home and and see how their family's doing and those types of things so so that's another dynamic that that comes from real estate that's interesting but yeah i i think going back to your original question um i think the brand is important. Thanks a lot for answering all my questions here. I, I found this very interesting and enjoyable. Um, I guess we will leave it at, um, I'm a diehard basketball fan. You have a University of Kentucky signed ball behind you. We're, we're actually on video right now and I can see your, can see Kenny's office right now. What, um, why don't you explain that uh, basketball to our listeners before we go? Yeah, that was actually a gift to me from my broker. Uh, that's the 2015 uh, Final Four team that I was okay. I was at the game and sadly lost to uh, Wisconsin, uh, one of those Badgers. I have some friends who are Badgers fans, and I just I get ribbed on that one a lot. But uh, but yeah, I'm a huge UK fan. My my dad played football at UK, and that's where um, you know uh, that my love of UK comes from. Uh, I love the Wildcats, and I bleed blue even here in Western Kentucky land. And I went to Western Kentucky. I love the Hilltoppers too. And I love them second behind my Wildcats. So it's, you know, I would never, uh, I would never cheer uh, against them unless they're playing my Wildcats. <laughs> oh, wow. Because I know that Western Kentucky, at least when I was a little kid, they had like a pretty good basketball team, but you, but you would choose, you would root for Kentucky against Western Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, and, and again, it just, it only yeah. comes from, uh, from the fact that I've, uh, lived Kentucky basketball and football since I was a toddler. So, uh, you know, it's just something I'm, I'm one of those, I'm very dedicated. I stay with, with whom I started with. Um, you know, I'm a big bears fan also. Uh, so Chicago bears is my team and, uh, the bulls, but anyway, um, I, I stick with, with who I've always been with. Even when I moved to North Carolina, there were a lot of people who said, Oh, you'll be a North Carolina fan now. No, no, can't do that. Definitely can't be a Duke fan. I'm sorry. That just, you know, that's just completely out of the question. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. you know, I would attend some Carolina games, but uh, no way I could do Duke. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've never rooted for Duke. And with that, um, I think that is a good uh, way to end our Houses in Motion podcast. K, 
Kenny, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much for keeping uh, Kentucky and the Midwest on your radar. We appreciate it. Of course. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. On September 27th and 28th at the Omni Hotel in Frisco, Texas, Housing Wire will host its second annual event, which will be in person for the first time. Housing Wire Annual offers each guest the opportunity to gather with top industry professionals for exclusive content, technology demonstrations, and unbeatable networking. Find out more by going to the events tab on the Housing Wire site. You won't want to miss out on this event, so register by September 20th. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.